It's a midweek service. Many have spent a long day at work. But, Lord, it's always appropriate. Any day of the week, it's always appropriate to stop and to give you thanks for who you are and what you've done for us. As we sing tonight about the thought of heaven, about the thought of standing before you one day and falling down before you and crying out with a perfect voice, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. I pray that our minds and hearts would be all here. Lord, you're here. You want to speak to us. You want to change us. You want to help us. So I pray that your word would be alive in our hearts today, that nothing would out-influence your voice in our minds and our hearts during the preaching time. Help us now. We need you. Most precious name I pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. There we go. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight, if you would please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter, let me get there, chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 5, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If I were to ask you, this doesn't have anything to do with the message, it has something to do with the song we just sung. If I were to ask you tonight, what is the greatest attribute of God? And we may get various answers. No doubt some would say love. Some would say grace. You know, according to the song that we just sung and according to uh, what we know from the Word of God, God's greatest attribute is His holiness. It's the only thing of all of His attributes that is mentioned in the Bible like holiness is. Holy, holy, holy. You never find love, 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 mercy, 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 grace, grace, grace. You find holy, holy, holy. Our God is a holy God. Amen? Absolutely, He is. Well, I hope that you plan on joining us Saturday night at 5 o'clock for a Vision Night. Uh, the staff have done an excellent job of uh, storing all of our uh, Vision Night supplies and decorations off campus. We're watched 24 hours a day by an off-duty police officer with a AR-15. We're pretty serious about that stuff. We, we like to keep that under wraps. You know, it's not that bad, but, uh, but we're excited about revealing our new theme for uh, 2018 and uh, really looking forward to what the Lord has for us. There will be a way every single month, we'll go over this Saturday, but there'll be a way every month to practically put into practice our theme for the year. And uh, the staff has put a lot of thought uh, in, into this, some of the things we've never done before, uh, some things we have. I'm really excited about our missions conference coming up. Got a couple of missionaries booked today. One to, uh, I'm really working on these missionaries to Oahu. Because um, at some point, every good supporting pastor has got to go visit missionaries. And so we're, we're Lord willing, going to have a family with us that's starting a church on the big island. And then uh, we'll have a, a missionary family with us to Columbia. And uh, then we've got uh, another one uh, booked as well. And so we're excited about that. We're going to be incorporating some things this year uh, in the month of April. 
that uh, will, will really help us be prepared for our missions conference at the end of that month. And there'll be some other things along the way that we will talk about on uh, a Saturday night. We'll start at 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall with a meal together, and then we will make our way uh, in here. Um, and just, just so you'll know, come prepared to stay a while. Uh, it won't be like 9 o'clock or anything like that, at least I hope. Uh, but we do have a number of things that we want to unveil uh, to you, and then uh, we'll top it off with a message and to go home, come back on Sunday morning. But uh, just, uh, just so you'll know, uh, you'll probably not be out of here at 6.30, okay? Uh, so come uh, prepared uh, for that, and uh, we're going to have a great time. Brother Mike's been working on it. he got three videos uh, that he's been working on, and, and we'll be showing those and a number of other things that, uh, that I hope uh, you will be excited about. I want to ask you two separate questions tonight, and you don't have to answer out loud. If you want, you can, uh, but you don't have to. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. Um, but two questions to start things off tonight. Question number one, are you saved? Simple question. There's only, there's only two answers, yes or no. Maybe it's not an answer, or I don't think so, it's not an answer. Uh, there, there's only two real responses to that question, are you saved? It's a yes or no question. The second question tonight is this, Brother Tyler asked you a moment ago, I'm going to ask you again, are you ready to go to heaven? Are you saved, and are you ready to go to heaven? What would you think if I told you that not everyone who is saved is necessarily ready to go to heaven? I submit to you that is possible, it's possible to be saved but not ready to go to heaven. And I'll explain that to you after we read our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This is not the first time that Paul has made that statement. And Paul makes it very clear, very plain in his writings that he would much rather be in heaven than be living on earth. I mean, that was in his heart. He wanted to see Jesus. He, Jesus had changed his life, and he wanted to see Jesus, and he had a desire, and he states it here again. I, I would much rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, or as Paul said, whether I'm living on earth and absent from heaven or whether I'm living in heaven and absent from earth, it doesn't make any difference. He said, we're going to labor and we're going to work and we're going to serve in such a way that we may be accepted of him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, 
whether it be good or bad. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And while you're turning, let me just make, let me just make a brief explanation. I'm not going to spend any time here because I don't have any time to spend. But it's a, mis, it's a misconception when people think that there's just going to be one general judgment for all of mankind. There are maybe some here that have been taught that, or, or maybe you know somebody who, who believes that way, that, and they, will, they, would, they would believe, yeah, there's going to be a judgment one day, and in their mind, it's going to be everybody who's ever been born, anybody that's ever lived, they're all going to be together at this one great, uh, hugeolical judgment. But that's not how the Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches there will be two judgments. There will be what we just talked about, the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment is for Christians. It's for believers. But then you turn to the, the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and you find what is called the great white throne judgment. That judgment is where the lost will appear. And they won't appear there to try to make things right with God and get into heaven. By the time they get there, it's too late. Everyone who stands before God at the great white throne judgment at the end of time will be cast into the lake of fire. Not because God's mean, not because God's unjust, not because God's cruel. It's because that's the choice they made. The fact that they were given an opportunity to go to heaven shows that God is kind and he is just and he is loving. Everyone who stands in judgment at the great white throne and is eventually cast into the lake of fire will, will suffer that end result because that's the choice they made in this life. It was their choice to reject Jesus Christ and his grace and his forgiveness, and that will be the end result. So we're not talking about that judgment tonight. Let's look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which uh, he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Again, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear, Paul's writing to save people, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Our appearance before the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a day of reckoning. And it's for this reason that I'm not convinced tonight that every saved person here, including some of you tonight, are ready for heaven. I'm not saying that you're not going there. I'm just presenting to you the idea that maybe you're just not ready to be there yet. 
The phrase judgment seat is a translation of one Greek word. That Greek word is bima. It's a reference to the Grecian games back in Paul's day where the contestants would compete for the prize under the careful scrutiny of judges. The victor of of a given event was led by the judge to the platform that was called the Bema. There he was rewarded by having the laurel wreath placed on his head as a symbol of victory. In his mention of the judgment seat, Paul was picturing the believer as a competitor in a spiritual contest, and this is not the only place that Paul does that. Paul uses athletic metaphors a number of times in his writings. He writes of us in the book of 1 Corinthians. He writes of us being uh, fighters in a fight and runners in a race. He uses the metaphor of wrestling in Ephesians chapter 6. And so Paul is picturing us as competitors in a spiritual contest. And as the victorious Grecian athlete appeared before the Bema to receive his perishable reward, his temporal reward, so the children of God, the Christian, will one day appear before Christ's Bema seat in heaven, and there they will receive an imperishable or an eternal reward. Now, here's something very important to understand tonight. The judge at the Bema bestowed rewards to the victors. He didn't whip the losers. In other words, the judgment seat of Christ is a reward seat, and it portrays a time of rewards or loss of rewards following examination. But listen, understand this tonight. It is not a time of punishment where believers are judged for their sins. No, no, listen. Our sins were judged on the cross. Thus, the judgment seat of Christ is not punitive in nature. It is not to judge believers for sin of any kind, confessed or unconfessed. As one writer states, Scripture teaches that for the believer, God's justice has already been fully and forever satisfied at the cross in relation to the believer's sins. If God were to punish the believer judiciously for his sins, for which Christ has already rendered payment, he would be requiring two payments for sin and would therefore be unjust. Such a concept, punishment for sin, erroneously disparages the all-sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross. But having said that, let me say this, that we should not take sin lightly. What I just said to you was not, uh, was not a hint at, hey, really, sin's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Because the consequences of sin are something that we do have to deal with. But that's another message for another time. 
So if we're not going to be judged according to our sin at the judgment seat, then what will we be judged for? I submit to you tonight that we will be judged with the respect to our service or our lack thereof to the Lord after we were saved. As Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 3, God is going to judge every man's work. Every Christian, as he or she lives their life, is living it in the sight of the eternal judge. Don't don't miss that tonight, church. Every moment of this day that we've lived, we have lived that in the light and in the presence and, 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 and in the scrutiny of the God of heaven. And one day, we will stand face to face with him in eternity. And we will be rewarded for the things done in our bodies, whether they were good or bad. So that tells us three things tonight about this day of reckoning. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's going to be a day of revelation. For we must all appear, Paul said. The word appear here means more than just to make an appearance. It means more than just showing up. It means to make manifest, to render apparent. It means literally to be led into the light. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that every man's work or his service to the Lord will be made manifest. And then he said this, and will be revealed as to what sort it is. If you still have your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, circle that word there, sort. Very important. We're not, our work will not be judged as to its size, but as to its sort. So at the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus isn't looking for quantity. He's looking for quality. And again, I submit to you tonight that what's going to matter when the lights come on at the judgment seat of Christ, here's what's going to matter tonight. Motive. Why did you do what you did? I'll be honest, I am forever having to self-judge my own motives for preaching, for teaching, for singing, and for any other kind of ministry I do. I am consistently and constantly examining my own motives and, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it's in Matthew chapter 6, in case you don't hear it is, he said, take heed 
that ye do not your alms, your good works, your good deeds before men to be seen of men? Otherwise, he said, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, he says, listen, it ought to be so secretive and, and so private that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand's doing. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Why? So they can be seen of men. And then he says it again, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, those who do things to be seen of men, whether they're doing good deeds or praying or singing or whatever they're doing, if they're doing it so others will notice and so that others can see, and if they're doing it in a way that draws attention to themselves, then they have their reward. In other words, when we sing or teach or preach or drive a bus or work in the nursery or mow the grass or cook a meal or replace a light bulb or give an offering or do anything else in terms of service to the Lord, our motivation is to be seen. If our, if our motivation is to be seen and praised by men, then their praise is our reward. That praise, that applause, that plaque, that pat on the back, Jesus says, enjoy it, because that's all there is. There's not anything else. It's those works done in the energy of the flesh and for the praise and recognition of men that will amount to nothing more than what Paul called in 1 Corinthians 3, wood, hay, and stubble, as it were, at the judgment seat of Christ. But on the other hand, those deeds done solely for the purpose of being a blessing and serving others and were not done necessarily to be seen of others, those are the things that will result in eternal reward. Now let me say this before I move on. Just because somebody sees what we do and praises what we do and are blessed by what we do and are thankful for what we do and recognize what we do, it's not like, oh great, well that's it for me. 
So you sing a great song on Sunday or whenever, and somebody after church comes up to you and says, starts to congratulate you or starts to, to thank you for being able to, you go, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. Don't say anything. Don't tell me how good it was. You don't have to do that. You tracking with me? Because here's the deal. Some ministries are very open, and they're very public, and they are seen by everyone, and that's okay. What's not okay is if those ministries are done in a way that we want the praise, and we want the attention, and we want the applause. You with me? It's about motive. It's about why we do what we do. You say, well, pastor, how do I know if, if my motives are right? Well, really, to me, it's pretty easy. It's how you respond when nobody recognizes you, when nobody applauds. When nobody tells you, hey, that was a great song. You really blessed my heart. Oh, man, I, I, that was a great message. That was a great sermon. That was a great lesson. Well, that meal was just spectacular. You want to know if you're doing it with the right motive? It's how you feel when nobody recognizes it. You get angry or you get hurt or any, any of those kinds of things. And that's a pretty good indication that you were doing what you're doing for the wrong purpose. You were doing it to be seen because the fact that nobody recognized it upset you. That ought to tell you right away, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're doing it with the wrong motive. So the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a day of revelation. God is going to reveal what our motives were. And if our motives were pure, then understand this tonight, the judgment seat of Christ will be a day of rewarding not just a day of revelation, it'll be a day of rewarding. And I'll be honest with you tonight, I don't know everything there is to know about this eternal reward system that God has planned. God has not chosen to, to lay it all out for us other than to let us know that there will be a day when we are rewarded in heaven for the things we've done on the earth. And as I said, God didn't lay it all out, but, but he did give us a, a, a few ideas as to what awaits us. For example, ministry to others will be rewarded. Paul said in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Listen, ministry done to others especially other believers, is going to be seen and noticed and rewarded in heaven by God. According to the parable of the talents in Luke chapter 19, I believe those who faithfully employ their God-given talents will be rewarded. 1 Timothy chapter 6 suggests that we will be rewarded according to how we used our money. Now, God has some specific rewards. The Bible calls them crowns. 
And they are for some specific people who do some specific things. Specific rewards for specific people who do specific things. For example, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about an incorruptible crown. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Again, Paul's talking about a, an athletic event. They train and they discipline themselves. He's, he's referring here to Olympians, Olympic athletes. All that started over in, in Greece where Paul ministered. And he said they do it to get these, these corruptible crowns, these crowns that won't last very long. They'll fade away. But Paul said we do it to get an incorruptible crown. From what I understand, this is awarded to believers who run the race of the Christian life well. Those who exercise self-discipline and sacrifice along the way. There's the crown of righteousness. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, Paul said, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all of them also that love his appearing. This crown is awarded to those who love the Lord's appearing and who live their lives in anticipation of that day every day. There's the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. This crown is reserved for pastors who faithfully discharge their duties in shepherding the flock of God. There's the crown of life, James chapter 1, blessed is the man who endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. This crown is for all those who faithfully endure times of trial and testing. And then there's a crown of rejoicing. For what is our hope, Paul asked, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? This is also known as the soul winner's crown. Anyone who has ever led someone else to Christ will receive the crown of rejoicing. Now, some may wonder, well, what's the big deal about all these crowns? What's the big deal about all of these rewards? What difference does it make anyway? I'm in heaven, and really, that's all that matters. Is it really all that matters? I submit to you that as much as the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a time of rejoicing and rewards for some, it will be a day of regret for others. Allow me to read from Revelation 4. This is the passage that Brother Tyler referred to a moment ago. The song that we sung refers to this very moment. Remember, John was led to the Isle of Patmos, and he was there alone, and God showed him what was going to happen in the future. And this is one of the scenes that John describes for us in Revelation chapter 4. He said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be thereafter. 
And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat uh, was to look upon like a jasper and sardin stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, twenty-four seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lieth, or excuse me, that liveth forever and ever. And watch this. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For those of you who are wondering what the big deal is about crowns, here it is. One day, all of the saved who were represented by the four and twenty elders, or should I say this, all of the saved with crowns, with rewards are going to have the privilege of casting those crowns at the feet of Jesus. To be in heaven and not have any crowns to cast at the feet of Jesus is going to be like going to a birthday party and not having a gift to give to the one whose birthday it is, only it's going to be a lot, lot worse than that. The feelings of regret and embarrassment will be unfathomable. One of Britain's greatest revivalists of the 20th century was a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill once asked this question. Do you realize that we are only a heartbeat away from a fixed state of reward, be it joy or shame? Ravenhill was directing his words to believers who will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Think about that phrase, a fixed state of reward. If Jesus came back right now, and you eventually find yourself at the judgment seat of Christ, Is your life in such a state right now that you could stand before him with confidence? We're not, we're not talking about sin tonight. We're talking about our service to the Lord. 
Would you be pleased if it was right now, this moment, would you be pleased with your fixed state of reward? In other words, are you so satisfied with your current level of faithfulness and commitment and service to the Lord that you could stand there without having any regret? Or would you be more like a high school senior at his or her commencement service. You know, they're happy they made it. They're glad that day has finally come. But as they sit there and they watch others receive various awards because they applied themselves and worked hard, there's always that little bit of regret because they know that if they would have just worked a little bit harder, if they would have just applied themselves a little bit more, if they would have just given an extra percentage of their time and their effort, that that day would have been different for them. Church, listen to me tonight. A fixed state of reward means... That the time to do more is now, while you have the opportunity. Once the trumpet sounds or once your heart stops beating and, and you enter eternity and you find yourself eventually standing before the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be too, listen to me, it's going to be too late to do more, to give more, to serve more, to say more, to love more, to sacrifice more, to commit more. The day of more is now. Are you tracking with me? A fixed state of reward. The moment that you enter eternity, your opportunity for more rewards and for a more blessed life in eternity is over. You're going to have to live for eternity with what you've done up to that very point in time. And again, I'm asking you tonight, if that moment happened right now, Are you going to be there wishing you had done more? Wishing you had sacrificed more? Given more? Served more? Showed up more? So the Tyler comes. Picture a man in a house engulfed by flames. His only way out is through those flames. And so he draws in a deep breath of air and he puts his, his, his arm over his face and he rushes through the flames and he gets outside and he just throws his hands up and says, praise the Lord, I made it, I'm safe. And about that time he turns around and he sees everything he's ever worked for. Everything that he's ever given his time for and sacrificed for, he watches it go up in flames. That's the way I think it's going to be for some Christians in heaven.
They're going to be there because they're saved. But they'll not have anything as far as rewards go because they have done nothing in this life worth being rewarded. The biggest fool in this building tonight is the person who is living only for the present time. Not recognizing, not acknowledging that he or she is just one heartbeat or one trumpet blast away from their fixed state of reward. Don't be that guy. Step up. Get out of your chair. Get into the game. I promise you, you will be forever glad that you did. Every head bowed.